Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Irish Sport and Exercise Science Association podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Wardrop, and today I am particularly excited to be able to catch up with Munster and Irish rugby legend, Paul O'Connell. Paul, you're very welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Bruce. Thanks for having me. Uh, I know we just had a, a chat there. We've both just done the school run this morning. So aside from dad duties, what's on your agenda today? My agenda today is I'm I'm watching the uh, Ulster uh, Leinster game from from the weekend, and I'll be, I suppose, I, I've half of it done already. I'll be cutting it up and maybe sending a few text messages to players and asking them what they were doing here or what they felt here, and uh, and then I'm gonna watch. Um, sorry, the Leinster Connacht game, and then I'll be watching Ulster Edinburgh. So. Um, and, and just cutting them up and seeing how our players are doing and seeing have we any other players coming up along. So the first part, I, I'm an assistant coach with the Irish rugby team at the moment. So the first part of my week, generally, I watch the provincial games. So we get them on four cameras, um, uh, four different camera angles. We get it all cut up, all the tackles, all the ball and play, all the line outs, the scrums. So if you just want to watch the lineouts from the game, you can do that. If you just want to watch the scrums from the game, if you want to watch all the game and then go back and just do the lineouts, you can do that. So um, all their individual, you know, every contact they have as an individual is also cut up. So if you just want to go to, uh, you know, Gavin Coombs's game and just look at what he did in the game, you can watch that. So. Um, so generally, that's the first part of my week. And then I'll try and watch another game from around the world, be it the top 14 or the Gallagher Premiership or um, or something like that. And then later on in the week, I might end up having a few conversations with other coaches around the world um, or, or, or our Irish coaches or coaches based in Ireland or whatever. So I work from home on those weeks and then other weeks we're up in Dublin as a group of coaches meeting together. So. Well, that's that's really that's fantastic. That's led straight into the type of question I wanted to to, to get. Uh, so you obviously have a team and maybe performance analysts who are chopping up those that footage for you and yeah. sending it on to you on, on to you. So do you rely much on that? That's obviously a big part of what you do then for for as as your coach in preparation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd never like if 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 I got given a game uncut, it's I'd never I wouldn't even I wouldn't even watch it because. Um, you're always there's always questions going on in your head because you go you know where it when a team ends up in in another in an opposite if you're watching the game and the team is in the opposition half you can find you've wandered to that point in the game and then you ask yourself how did they get into that half and you you can look back through the timeline and you see the penalty that was given away that the opposition got into the half and you can click on that penalty watch that penalty see you know was it one of the players that we have with Ireland? Was it a silly penalty or was it something he could avoid? Or, uh, you know, so there's always a, there's always stories going on in the game. So you're, you, you really need, you know, you might see a player miss a tackle and you might say to yourself, God, that's unusual for him. And you might look back at the rest of his tackles in the game or, or you might see a player that's been struggling with a certain part of his game doing something really well, and you you'll just go back and watch all those other bits of his game as well. So, so yeah, we have a we've a we, we have a uh, I suppose three main analysts that work with the senior men's national team that cut these games for us. Um, and you know, it's funny even watching a game on TV now. I I don't like watching games on TV. I find when I watch a game on TV, I I watch it as a fan because. The camera angle you're watching on TV is influenced. So what's happening in that narrow angle is influenced by what's going on wider. And, you know, on Monday, I know I'm going to have the camera angle where I'm going to be able to see what's happening wider. But on TV, I've only one camera angle. So when you're watching the game on Monday as a coach, you're, you're, you're skipping between camera four and camera one. You're looking at the tight and you're looking at the wide. And, and and you know one of the big things we talk about in rugby is is the player's work off the ball. How good is he off the ball? So the rock might be on the far side of the pitch, but what is that player doing on the other side of the pitch? To is he looking? So is he scanning? Is he checking for the space? Is he getting into a position quickly where he can exploit that space? Is he is he communicating to the guy beside him to to be able to get the ball to that space? So. 
we're always looking at that wider camera because what's happening in the tight is always influenced by what's happening out wide. So, um, so that's that's the big thing of the start of the week for us is to is to try and put that picture together because when you're watching it on Saturday night, you don't have that wide angle and you you kind of get immersed in what's happening in the tight. Yeah, we're kind of interested in the the story of the game, whereas you're interested in the story of maybe the individuals and what's going on off away from the ball. How hard are they working away from the ball? It's the biggest thing. It's the biggest thing in the game really now. And how has that evolved, say, since you were a player yourself? So was that kind of analysis available to you as a player? Did it come on stream later in your career? Or is this something new to you as a coach? Um, No, it it wouldn't have really been available for most of my career anyway. Um, You know, there's a big database uh, called Opta now, which has every single game in the world uh, that happens on a weekend in professional rugby coded. So, um, you know, we get our Irish national games coded the way we want them coded, um, but just kind of a generic coding then on Opta. So if I, if, 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 you know, at the weekend, Stade Francais beat Toulouse in the, in the, in the French top 14. So if I want to watch that game, I can download that game off Opta on Monday morning. It'll take about, seven or eight minutes to download with my broadband here. I'll only get one camera angle for those ones because we don't have an agreement with, with with those teams. So we only have an agreement with other international teams. We get all their games on, on four camera angles. They get all our games on four camera angles. Obviously, we get the all the Irish provincial games on four camera angles because, you know, there are teams. But if I want to watch Stade Francais and Toulouse in the weekend, I can download that from from Opta and I can watch every single game, every, you know, I can watch all the line outs from the game if, if the line out interests me or I can watch the whole game or I can watch all the rocks from the game if that's what interests me or or I can watch the bits of play that happen only five metres from either line if that's what interests me. So that wasn't available when I was playing, that that database and the agreements to share amongst each other wasn't, wasn't there. So very often you could be playing a team you know, a, a beer it's in a, in a, in a, in certainly in the earlier days in the European Cup semi final, and you wouldn't have seen them at all. Uh, the only, the only viewing you would have had of them is maybe the club would have sent an injured player over to watch them, or, or one of the coaches would have missed the game from the weekend and would have gone over to watch them and would have formed an opinion on them. So, so that level of analysis brought around now by by the sharing of 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 you know the, the tv camera angles uh has has increased the, the level of analysis in the game back back you know back in the early days there was only maybe one big game covered by tv camera angles whereas now there's a tv does uh, does does a tv crew at every single professional rugby match nearly in the world so um so it, it's it's amazing the level of I suppose sharing of of footage that is going on and the agreements that are in place. So there's there's basically agreements in all the leagues. If you're in the URC, there's an agreement that every team shares their footage. They put the, the footage of their game up on on the on the database. And from your perspective, how much of an influence do you think that has on the modern game now, that sharing and the fact that you know much more about the opposition you're coming up about up against and likewise they know a lot about you guys? Yeah, it's had a big, big effect. One of the negative effects is 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 everyone ends up playing in a kind of a similar pattern. You know, you know, back in the day, you were kind of it's not that you were in the dark, but you kind of you were figuring out your own way of playing, and you couldn't go and look at the you know if you you now can go and look at the best like if you if your line out struggling or you can go and get. 10, 10 games from the, the team with the best line out in the world and you can watch their line out and you can say, oh God, I'm going to I'm gonna copy some of that or whatever. Whereas back in the earlier days with us, you just had to figure it out yourself. So there was a little bit more of a difference, I think, in, in how people went about their business. Um, and I think that's that's a bit of a shame that that part of it is, has 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 been lost. And, and you know, another thing I would have available to me is 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 on Tableau. Our our analyst has all the data that comes in from Opta. So, if I want to see 
if I want to see who's the best team in the world this year at scoring tries from malls, I can go and I can, uh, you know, on Tableau, I have got all these little things I can click um, this season. Lineouts only from 10 meters in. Um, I can I can decide it's only the top teams in the top 14 or the top teams in the Gallagher Premiership. And I can go and see which team has the best mall in the world or which team has the best line-out defense in the world or which team has the best uh, rook, you know, puts the most rook pressure. And then you can go and speak to your analysts and say, okay, listen, Breve, last season Breve, even though they wouldn't have been a top team in the top 14, last season Breve had the best line-out defense in the world. And I can say, get me all the line-outs that Breve stole last season. And I can go and watch them and I can go and form an opinion. This is what I think they're doing. And these are the the rules I feel they have in terms of delivering. And you can you can actually go and make your own fist of copying them. So so it's it's you know, that that that's a whole new world that that didn't exist when I was playing. Yeah, so it's interesting listening to you there. I'm just thinking to myself, would you, you know, obviously you've got two ways to use that data. You can try and copy and emulate what those teams are doing. Or do you come up with your own strategy to try and disrupt or, or, or counteract what they're doing? So what what's, do you think is more productive? What, well, what are you in favour of doing? It's both, really. I, I think, you know, very often we, we'd analyse a team and, and you'd say, I like what they're doing there. And I think that fits in with what we're doing. We can evolve what we're doing. We won't, you know, it's probably a bit of a copy-paste and edit rather than a copy-paste, you know. Um, so So that's one thing. But the other thing is actually just, you know, looking at teams that are very good at something and saying, okay, well, you know, they do that because of this, so it actually doesn't suit us. But other times mm. you look at them and you go, you know, we we can we can add a little bit of what they're doing to what we're doing here. Yeah, uh, I guess you, you might have to play to the individuals that you have as well. They might have someone who's particularly good at one skill or to, to just have a good eye or head for decision-making on the spot like that. Exactly, you know, and everything, you know, it's like a golf swing, you know, you can look at, you can look at what one what a professional does with his swing and you can try and add that into your swing but you don't realise you have about five other different things that are going to get affected when you add that one thing into your swing and it's the same with with rugby you know if you make if you make a you know if you make a change to what you do it, it'll have effects in other places and you need to make sure that those effects don't i suppose aren't detrimental to what you're doing in other parts of the game that's uh, so aside say from 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 the performance analysis side of things there are there any other elements of sports science that come into your current role um i know it's probably a bit more performance analysis i've read about the 5g van that you guys have is that something that you use in real time to do the performance analysis? Yeah, and that's something I probably need to get better at using. You see, it all depends on how you train. So we have a we have a van where players can go back in straight away and get feedback. They can watch training, or they can they can do a scrum and watch that scrum straight away from a from a drone angle down on top of the scrum. Which obviously, if you're in a scrum. You know, you have feel of 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 what kind of shape you're in, but you can't you can't see it. So to be able to go and do that scrum, and then go and look at it and have a look at yourself from the side on angle, from a top down angle, is 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 a pretty good resource to have. Um, and the scrum probably use it more than us. I I know that we tend to train differently to to some teams. We we train quite fast we we train quite short so the opportunity for video feedback isn't there as much for us very often we'll walk in off the pitch and we'll try and this preseason we had a big massive screen on the side of the pitch and literally players would just go to the video analyst and say will you put up the last play up or will you go to the first play of the second block and just put that play up and the players would just watch it and then they'd in watching it together, it's fresh in their mind. They just have a little conversation about it then and, and be able to put fixes in place straight away. Whereas I know that other teams do something similar, but they might train in double days. It's what's called double days. So they might train units in the morning, which would be forwards and backs. And then they train as a team in the afternoon. And that that extra time, I think, 
gives them time to use the video feedback more. Whereas I wouldn't be a fan of doing double days. I think any time the players have to put their boots on twice in a day, particularly in the middle of a long season, it can be a bit tiring for them. So we try and train once in the day and try and be efficient with how we use our time. But um, but that's that's the, the, the performance analysis side of it. Yeah, that sounds like doing it the way you do sounds like it's a bit more game specific as well. You know, you have to be able to make decisions and react quickly rather than rather than, you know, stop, pause, reflect. Yeah, especially if you're trying to train fast. And we, we get into this in a minute, you know, tr- trying to get the players fit through their training rather than doing fitness blocks at the end of training. So if you want to train fast, video feedback in the middle of the session is is a bit of a tricky one. It's a killer time. Yeah. 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 So, okay, well, let's, let's move on to the conditioning. So obviously strength and conditioning is a huge part of any athlete's preparation these days and especially so in rugby. How has that type of work evolved since, well, throughout your career as a player and now into a coach? Um, it's, it's, it's evolved massively, but it's probably evolved logically, uh, really, you know, uh, I think, a big part of the game now is is trying to keep players injury free, uh, you know, trying to get them fit, but trying to keep them injury free. So managing load is a big part of the job. So for us, you know, back in the early days, I, I remember when I first started, it was about long running at the start. You, you might be doing these four or five minute runs, these, you know, these that kind of running and then you go down into shorter running 100s and 150s and um uh and then you get into training but training really the the actual rugby training didn't have a fitness element to it the the rugby training was quite slow uh probably a lot of talking a lot of explaining and that's probably the level we are at we were at whereas now uh i think you're trying to always get fitter by playing the game. So can we get better at the game of rugby or, or our version of rugby? And can we get fitter while doing that as well? So can we get more touches on the ball? Can we have more decision-making under pressure while also building the fitness to be able to play the game? So you're trying to kill two or three or four birds with, with one stone. Whereas I think back in the day, we would have done the hard running uh, and then gone in and trained rugby. Um, and it, it it kind of, I, I think now, I suppose, with the load, the load management that's required. So players are, are playing big, big games, big physical games on a Saturday. And you have to be prepared to play the following Saturday as well the chance to get that player to do fitness with that player and rugby with that player and for that player to recover in the week. There was too much in the week. So training has really evolved now to being short, um, very fast, um, um, minimal coaching or, or, or coaching on the run or coaching with little one liners where, if you only walked in off the street, you wouldn't know what that one-liner meant. But because it's part of a team's language, once you hit a player over the head with that one-liner, he knows exactly the point you're making and he knows exactly what it's referring to. So, I mean, I would have had a really interesting experience. Jason Cowman is the head of SNC with Ireland. Um, and I remember we were, it was towards the end of my career, we were playing a game and, and I was on the bench and, any time I was on the bench, I always felt was a chance for me to do extra fitness in that week because, you know, I was only going to be playing maybe 20, 25 minutes. And I remember him at the end of a session, I said, look, I want to do a, 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 or the morning of, of, of one of our training sessions. I said, I want to do some extra fitness. And, and he was there. That's fine. Um, and he said, this is what I propose you do. And I said, well, that's not what makes me feel good. I said, this is what I propose that I do. And he said, he said, and, and GPS had come into the game now and, and we were only beginning to figure it out. And he said, that's just to let you know what you want to do there isn't the game anymore. We, we know that isn't the game anymore. And I was there, well, listen, that's that's what I need to do to feel good. So he said, okay. So we did the session 
and you know i i was crawling off the pitch afterwards which i felt that's what i felt i needed to, to, to feel good for the weekend and this, the little extra session we did might have been 20 minutes long or it might have been a bit little bit less 17 minutes or something and i remember i came on in the game then for 20 minutes at the weekend and we were at this stage we, we had started wearing gps at training and for the match whereas in the earlier days we only wore gps for the match and i remember afterwards he gave me a one pager and he said here's the gps of the training session that you wanted to do that makes you feel good and here's the gps of what the match actually was and what the match actually looked like and 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 heart rate with it as well and the gps from my session was loads of long slow running um and then the GPS from the match was was all short bursts uh, with long periods of recovery. So, you know, the ball might get kicked into touch. You know, the, the hooker has to get the ball. There, there'll be 45, 50 seconds of recovery before the ball will come into the line out. And then the ball might be in play for, for 40 seconds or 45 seconds, of which I would have had to have been dynamic for maybe three or four seconds twice the rest of it I was just moving around getting ready to go and um, <laughs> that was a big light bulb moment for me because I wasn't training for what the modern game was um, and that's when I started changing how I trained and I started moving away from doing extra fitness and uh, murdering myself to to trying to get all my fitness in the rugby session so even though there would be no contact which is a big big part of the, the you know getting off the floor wrestling grappling with people and that's quite exhausting even though there'd be no contact in a lot of our rugby sessions there was loads of opportunities to accelerate to recover then for 20 seconds then to sprint for 30 meters and then to recover um to get up and off the ground so I started really using the rugby training sessions to to go out with a real intention in the in the rugby session to 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 be dynamic to accelerate to be powerful when I needed to be powerful and then to recover when there was a a break in play and we kicked a touch or when there was a scrum and that scrum got reset and it got reset again and and now there's ninety seconds since the ball has been in play. Um, I started training with real intention around trying to use those sessions to get me really match fit and not trying to use fitness blocks at the end of sessions to get fit. And it was the GPS which which was able to sell it. And it was that SNC coach handing me a one pager and saying, you know, we know this now. We know this now. It will be insanity for you to continue training the way you're training. And you needed that just to tip you over in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. He packaged it the, the, the right way, you know. And that's coaching, isn't it? You know. Yeah. He could sometimes he could he could have he could have just told me, and I would have been yeah. Well, I, I'm still doing. I, I need to do it my way. <laughs> but he 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 he. Luckily for me, the the little bit of an extra thing we did was around the same length of time as the amount I came off the bench that weekend, and he was able to package it and sell the story to me and it was a, a eureka moment for me and and i was at the stage as well where i had a lot of injuries and i was trying to reduce the load i was i was doing in training anyway so so the the i was going to be on the pitch for rugby training anyway i may as well train with intention and get as much out of it as i could from a fitness point of view and walk off the field rather than training quite slowly and then having to do an extra block at the end, more time on feet, which at my age, I didn't really need. Yeah, we talk about it with the students quite a bit as well. And I think they're sometimes surprised to see in rugby that, you know, the, I think I know someone might correct me on this. But I think the typical distance is covered by a player on the pitch during a match is about maybe eight, nine kilometers. But the average speed is probably a little bit bit above a brisk walk or a slow jog, yeah. but it's interspersed then with those high speed running moments, and then the ones that are probably a little bit harder to capture by GPS, like you said, when you're rucking, mauling, and you're putting massive effort in, but you're not actually going anywhere, um, or you're not moving too much on the on on the fields. 
Um, so it's it's a very uh, unique style of play. Yeah, and the forwards see the forwards would have less kilometers, but a lot more grappling, wrestling, scrummaging, mauling, which really takes it out of you. Uh, whereas the backs, uh, particularly the back three, 11, 14, 15, they, they have to cover a lot of ground covering the backfield. So they might be up at eight, nine kilometers sometimes in a game and a forward might be around six kilometers in a game. But sometimes a forward will come off the field. It might have been a wet day. You might have spent a lot of time five meters from the opposition line. So you'll have really short, you might have a real short distance covered in your GPS and you might think it's an easier game, but you did loads of getting up off the ground, short carries, you know, this wrestling, grappling um, fitness. So it's kind of an interesting one, rugby, because you have to be this powerful athlete that can be explosive, but you also have to be able to go for a long time. It's kind of, it's kind of, it go, one goes against the other in some ways. Uh, yeah, and particularly in rugby where size is is preferable, yeah. you know, being able to go for longer when you're that bit bigger is tougher too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, if you'll, you, you hit off a couple of things that I've always been curious about. So if you'll indulge me for a moment, I used to play a bit of rugby myself when I was younger, uh, when I was in school and through university. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with North Wales Division 5 rugby. Do they show up much on your radar? <laughs> Big hitters like Denby, Abergelly, Brofestiniog. Not yet, not yet. <laughs> but uh, I, really, I remember playing those matches. We were, we were students in university and we used, used to go out and play against... Uh, in the men's division there and they were big hardy men and we were you know relatively young students but I really remembered the physicality of those matches like it knocked the stuffing out of you you were in bits after them so one thing I've always wondered like do you get condition can you get conditioned to that physicality to the to the impact to the knocks to the toll it takes on you uh, through the the grappling the wrestling very much so yeah very much it's it's like um and the preseason has gotten smaller now but like you know, the first game back uh, at the end of a preseason, you, you, you know, your your body is battered and bruised and, and the recovery takes a little bit longer, but you, your body gets used to it. It's the, I'm sure it's the same as these guys that that jump into the Atlantic Ocean all year round every day, you know, they, they become conditioned to it. I think you do get conditioned to the contact, you get used to the contact. Your body gets used to it. I mean, even I, I was a professional rugby player for 15 years. I, I watch matches sometimes now and, I, you know, I'd be wincing um, watching it. But that used to be me. And and I, I the, and another thing is, and you'd be surprised at the professional level. I would say the level of contact we have done in Ireland, and, and they've been very good at this, is, is in, in, in training is very very limited you know if 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 we do i would say if we do full match contact in the whole of the six nations i would be surprised if we do 10 minutes of it in our training week we do a lot of controlled contact we do full contact scrums we do a lot of full contact mauling but full contact rocking tackling very very little little of it in training because you know, it's all about recovery. It's all about staying injury free, particularly in Ireland, where we, we, you know, we smaller playing numbers than a lot of other countries. So it's the contract, the contact is really, really controlled. You know, I mean, all the players at the moment, when they do tackling at the end of training or to start the training, they do them onto big mats. You know, they're like, they're like a smaller, you know, skinnier version of the the high jump mats that people fall onto when they do the high jump. You know, so they'll do full contact tackling where the the tackler lands onto those mats. They'll do a lot of tackling uh, uh, where the the, the 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 guy they're tackling is holding hit shields. Um, so the the management of there's a lot of management of contact in, in rugby and, and I would say Irish rugby have been very, very good at managing that for a long time now. I heard uh, Rob Kearney on another podcast saying that it took about six or seven days to, to get over uh, an international match. So 
what do you think? Was Rob just being a bit soft there, or would you agree uh, that it takes that long to get over a match uh, like I, that? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. We, and I'm sure we've done testing on it. I think it's is it cortisol or something? Is that stress? Yeah, that's the one. And I think some guys in Tuesday are still quite high in it, from what I, I, I remember. Um, we tend to, so if we play on Saturday, we won't be on the pitch until Tuesday afternoon. So we're giving them as much time to recover as we can. And we do train on Monday, but it's generally with runners on. It's just going through tactical pieces. There's very little, there's actually a good recovery element to it because they're beginning to jog. They're beginning to put the previous game behind them. They're beginning to plan for the next game, which there's a bit of that mental recovery in it as well. Um, um, and I do think, you know, if you have a game the following Saturday, I would say you 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 do recover. If you don't have a game the following Saturday, it's like you almost allow yourself to be tired. You know, I, I remember John Hayes saying it one day, um, I remember we were training on a Friday um, and both of us weren't playing on the Saturday. And he said, it's nice to be able to go home and be able to admit to yourself that you're tired tonight. Whereas if you're playing a game, you don't allow yourself to believe you're tired or you don't admit that you're tired to yourself. You, 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 you're telling yourself you're in good shape and, and you probably are, Um, you know, it's like, you know, but when you when you get the break, then you're you allow your body to to take the break, and it's very funny. A lot of players, uh, and John Hayes would have been one of them. Whenever they got a break, they used to get sick. You know, they'd get a cold or a, or or whatever because it's like your body is just kind of saying, "Okay, right, I, I understand now. I'm getting a bit of a break. I'm going, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm uh, so." So that happens funnily a lot when players get breaks, even in preseason. Uh, we used to slag John Hayes. He didn't get sick that often, but he used to just, like, during his break in preseason, like clockwork every year, he used to come down with a bit of a cold. A little bit run down from training hard, and, and his body is finally admitting to itself that it's 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 struggling a bit, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. You've hinted a bit there again at the some of the, the mental side of things and the, the psychology side of, of the game as well. I've heard you talking about the current Irish squad being very good at being present uh, in training and, and when they're playing. So what, what does that mean to you? Um, you see, there's a big there's a big game every Saturday now. It's not like, you know, every game is a big one. Like you look at even... Leinster played Connacht at the weekend up in the sports ground in Galway. You know, it was eight o'clock on a on a Saturday night. The sports ground was absolutely heaving. Um, all these players are. It's obviously a big game. It's a big provincial derby. So the eyes of the country are on it. They know the Irish coaches are watching it. Leinster had a Leinster had rested a lot of those their starters, but they still. They still are. They're playing for the, a lot of them are playing for a place in the bench, or they're trying to break into the team. Every game is a big game, and you know if you spend all week with that game in the back of your mind, very often you can get to the game and you're you can be flat by the time the game comes around. So being present is trying to take some of the pressure of the big game away from the players and teaching them that. The only thing, you know, if you're if you're if you're heading out to training on Tuesday afternoon, the most important thing you can do is to be focused on that session and to be present in that session and to treat that session almost like you would treat a game. Um to 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 train well, to you know, to make yourself feel good, to make the guys around you feel good to fix whatever issues you have that you need from the previous day to, so that they're right for the next day. And it, it allows you to ignore the game a little bit on Saturday. And it's the same when the game comes around. You know, if it's the morning of the game, being present is about, you know, having a bit of fun with the guys beside you at breakfast or or or, or getting a nice breakfast into you or spending a bit of time with your kids and being present with them and having a bit of crack and not you know, not, not, not living in the game um, because you can only play the game when the game comes around. So 
you may as well enjoy the build up to the game and enjoy your teammates and you know so 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 that's what it's about i mean like you know you you might start the game you might start the game with with three mistakes and if you're not present if you're not able to put those mistakes behind you and focus on what happens next you end up bringing those mistakes into the rest of the game with you you might start the game and you might go 15 nil up and if you're looking into the future you're thinking this game is won when really your next job is to catch the next kickoff and to allow your team to exit well or whatever it is. So, so being present is, I suppose, something that came into the game. You know, being present, meditation um, is something that came into the game, I would say, just as I was finishing. Uh, so it's, it's 10, 11, 12 years old. Now, even if you see our players, a lot of the time when there's a break and play, they huddle up and they take two deep breaths. And that's to stop people... I suppose talking crap a little bit and, and give them a moment, but it's also it's also making them, I suppose, live what they're talking about. So they talk about being present a lot because they they, they do find it helpful, um, and it generally calms them down a little bit. And then one of the leaders will speak about you know what happened last and how we can fix it and what we need to do next, and and they move on to the next play. So. Um, that's a bit of a long explanation, but I, I think it it applies to every walk of life. And I, I remember when it first came in, uh, meditation first came into the Irish team. I remember saying to Jason Coleman, our S&C coach, I've said, what does this have to do with playing rugby? And, you know, over time, by being immersed in it and hearing different stories and some things that I didn't work for me, and then another thing would happen or another story be told or 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 someone would that was doing it would tell you something and you that would click with you and you'd end up reading an article that they had. Now I would I fully, fully believe in it and, and I think it has a massive place in in high performance, but also a massive place in 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 recovery, but a massive place in in mentally mentally being able to enjoy the big weeks and mentally being able to enjoy the big games. Was that something that kind of came naturally to you, or is that something you've had to work on, at, like maybe as a player or personally or as a coach? That that being present or, and and allowing yourself uh, to to be in the moment. No, if I if I if 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 I hadn't have been introduced to it, I probably reckon I would have ended up retiring earlier because I used to, I used to be a bag of nerves on the Friday night before games, difficult to be around, um, you know. Um, I used to vomit in the changing room before games. I used to be so nervous. Um, so I, I had to be introduced to it and probably dragged into it, kicking and screaming at the start. Cause I, you know, cause I felt that's the way you have to be. It was rugby. It was like going to battle. You, you had to be, you know, you had to have a growl on your face before you walked onto the field and, we still walked onto the field with a growl on my face, but inside I was in a good place. I was enjoying myself and I was I was definitely present. But I, I had to be dragged into that frame of mind, kicking and screaming. And once once I saw the value in it, I then would have started reading about it and listening to things about it and asking questions about it. I was lucky Joe Schmidt was big into it. Lucky Jason Carman was big into it at the time and probably influenced Joe Schmidt a little bit as well and they were aligned so we started doing meditations twice a week you know we'd literally all bring our pillows down to the to the team room in the Irish squad and you'd lie you'd lie on your pillow and we'd, we'd do a meditation I would have never done it in a million years if it hadn't have been in the itinerary and we didn't have to do it but you know I I I, I gradually got there so and and I got it's funny, you know, we all got there, you know, different people maybe haven't gotten there since or some guys are totally immersed in it. But we all got there at different times and different stories connected with us and different things we did connected with us. Some people, nothing would nothing would happen. Other people would be, I really enjoyed that and I understand it now and I want to know more about it. So so, you know, it's it's 
it's it's i think it is massive value in in high performance sport, sports in terms of your ability to perform but also your ability to to be mentally in a good place as you're as you're pr- pursuing a, a dream that's really important to you um does it influence you as a coach like just listening to you speak there you you know as a player you might have been a little bit resistant to certain changes you've mentioned it a couple of times there um does that influence you now as a coach are you aware of a player who might be resistant to change does that make you tailor your message differently to to individuals uh do, do you consider those things now when you're, you're giving feedback oh uh, yeah i think um I, you know i think that there's something in rugby like a lot of the best coaches in rugby were teachers because they have a teaching qualification. Um, and I think that's, that's something that I'd love to have. I'd love to have, you know, to have a degree in the actual transfer of knowledge would be handy when your job is transferring knowledge. But one thing you have as a rugby player that maybe the guys that are teachers have is, you know how hard it is to change habits. You know how hard it is to, to play in a in a rugby match that is, you know, means the world to you. It's the most important thing in your life. It's it's aggressive. It's physical. It's you know when you are when you're in an aggressive physical sport where you're under pressure, you're exhausted, you're mentally stressed. It's hard to change the habits of a lifetime. So you can watch a player that you've coached and you can say, how can he still be doing that? I think as a, a former rugby player, you can actually sit there and go, I 100% understand how he's still making those mistakes because <laughs> I was that soldier. So um, so I do think, you know, and I, I think as a coach, it's if a player is struggling with something, you know, it's not, I think if the coach has the attitude that it's, it's my job to help him with this and f- help him figure this out, uh, well, then, the, you know, that's a better place to be rather than, he doesn't get it. It's it's his fault, you know. You have to look at yourself as a coach, I think. Or or, or or at the very least, you have to look at it that, you know, we're both on this journey together, you know, and, and I have to I have to help him figure this out. And what works for some doesn't work for others. Um, you know, some people need to need to do it, other people need to see it on video, other people need to write it down um you know other people need to they need to get hit with all different ways of learning before it clicks with them so you're always trying to figure that out as a coach i suppose paul you mentioned earlier about the you know how fast the modern game had could become like it was periods or uh, moments of slow play interspersed with high speed high power output moments in the game how did you, you know, you, you said that wasn't really your thing, but how did you adapt or progress to be able to play that type of game? Yeah, I suppose the game, I suppose GPS ended up educating us on this and maybe we knew it, but I suppose rugby, like a lot of sports, is, has has a few myths around it and a lot of the game would have been around being super fit, so being able to outwork the opposition so you'd run yourself into the ground, whereas the, the modern game is more about being able to recover in the game so that you can be really powerful and fast and accelerate. And, you know, for us, Tom Cummins, I, I actually started, I had an injury, I think it was. Um, I, I broke my hand in a game. I'd had a 10-week preseason. And then in my first game back, I broke my hand and I ended up getting another 10-week preseason on top of it. And because once, you know, I had an operation on my hand that two weeks later, I was able to run. So in terms of an, having an injury, it was a great injury to have. And I was working with Fergal O'Callaghan at the time, who was, uh, you know, a former Irish rower, who was our head of S&C. But Tom Cummins was based in UL. So, you know, I couldn't do any rugby because of my broken hands. So I was literally on this S&C program for, 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 uh, for another 10, 10, 11 weeks. And that's when Fer- Fergal O'Callaghan introduced me to Tom Cummins and I started doing proper speed work and learning about proper speed work and learning about how to accelerate and learning what training allowed you to accelerate more, you know, because we would have been, you know, certainly Irish players anyway. And me, I was always trying to be bigger. I was a small, 
skinny second row. So I was always doing hypertrophy rate weights, high reps. And um, when Tom Cummins came in, I started learning, you know, to be able to accelerate, you need to be strong. But I'd had, you know, I'd had back injuries from a younger age. I'd had a back operation at 22. So, so now this new challenge comes in around how to get strong without injuring myself again. So we started doing hex bar deadlifts and all this. But the big part of it was starting to accelerate and move better than I had been and moving away from this, I suppose, work rate player or 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 this player that that felt you know you had to crawl off the pitch to have played a good game um and i i remember i remember playing a game against sale tom ended up coming in full time at a stand in munster i remember playing against sale over in sale uh over in sale one year and uh i think tomas o'leary made this line break and passed on to me and i i absolutely punched onto the ball got through a gap and made an offload myself. And I remember we were wearing our white monster kit, but I remember Tom didn't travel to the game, but I remember come back in a Monday and him saying that, that, that was it, that, you know, I've never seen you do that before. And I never had done that before. I, you know, I carried the ball a lot, but not as dynamically as a David Wallace or, or, or as dynamically as a Dennis Leamy. So, so that movement, I suppose, towards understanding about, speed accelerating um being able to be quick off the mark that's really what 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 separates a great forward and even now in our back then we didn't have gps but even now with our forwards the big thing we're always chasing them down on is accelerations how many times did you accelerate and and are you building the accelerating habits so so Tom, I suppose, was ahead of his time, really, because he didn't have the GPS data to back it up. But he was able to understand that certainly for a back, we always knew you had to be fast. But really what makes a difference now, and it's probably one of the points of difference of these Irish forwards at the moment, that is they all accelerate really well because they've all been trained to move really well from a young age. And um, when Tom came into Munster, it, it made a big difference to my another little seminal moment that made a big difference to my training and, and how I was thinking about the game. So obviously Tom is a strength and conditioning coach, but where he was back then, but he's also a very good sprinter. So was most of that work, was it born out of the gym or was it born out of technique work? Uh, how to move well? Was it a combination of both? Take a uh, combination of both, but a lot of technique work. Like, you know, I, you know, these, 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 high knees movements where you're where you're getting to triple extension all stuff i didn't know and i remember the first time doing them you know we, we must have looked like we'd never ran in our life you know <laughs> but we all learned we all became more body aware on the back of it uh you know whereas now if you see these young kids coming out of the academy that have to do speed drills they, they look like sprinters you know because they've been doing them for such a long time now there's such an understanding of the role of of how you move you know people that move well that can accelerate we can almost teach them the rugby sometimes that that that's the really hard part that 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 ability to move well to accelerate to move quickly from a standing start or from a kind of a a tempo running start where you're jogging and all of a sudden you change direction you're 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 going as quick you're 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 flat out quickly so so that that's what it would have been. I mean, I, I think a big part of it is that understanding of the role strength plays in speed and then the understanding of technique. And then it's, it's about believing how important it is and understanding how important it is that you try and build the accelerating habit into, into your training and into your matches because it's very easy to play rugby at one pace because you're coming out of a scrum where you've been in a a squat position for 25 seconds you're coming out with your legs like jelly but you have to be able to you have to be able to mentally switch into having the ability to be dynamic to accelerate to, to not to not be one placed in how you deliver your actions and there's a real it's a learned skill for for a lot of people i think you know because they've grown up playing rugby where it was all about 
work rate, you know, how much, how many tackles can you make? How many carries can you make? Whereas a lot of it now has gone towards how effective can you be? How dynamic can you be in, in the actions that you deliver? I think it does. It leads on to, from a, from a fan's point of view, it leads on to some of the most uh, uh, interesting, exciting, and like you said, dynamic parts of the game. When you have perhaps, a, I'm not trying to be disparage the forwards, but maybe a, a big forward who doesn't look like he should be able to move well, make an a absolutely lightning fast break uh, down the pitch. And it just opens up the game instantly and makes it so exciting to watch. Yeah. I mean, even the ability to accelerate two metres into a gap and get and get your hands free and, and be able to offload the ball to someone who's into a bigger gap. Like, that that two metres is, is the difference, you know? And if you can cover that two metres slightly quicker than the guy that's marking you can cover the two metres, well, that's what allows you to get your hands free. And that's what... And, and that's why sometimes you can watch some games of rugby if... If there isn't dynamic forwards on the pitch, they'll just go across the pitch over and back. They'll retain the ball, but there's no one really to create. And and what creates is is that little that that acceleration, that speed into a into a hole or a gap. Um, and you know, for sure, plenty of guys are born with it. But I think through the training, through proper coaching and training, you can you can develop a certain amount of it as well. And so throughout your career then, how, how, how much have you seen the gym work, the actual lifting weights in the, in the gym? How much has that progressed from, from when you were early in your career to what the guys are doing now? Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's just it's gotten more control. There's an acceptance that if, if a guy needs to get big, we, we'll get him big over a longer period of time so that we don't injure him. Um, um, I think there's an acceptance of of the role that strength plays in terms of speed, but also the role that strength plays in terms of injury prevention as well. Um, um, I I think and and it's just all been it's all it's all, it's all been logical, you know. I, I because I, I certainly at the start Irish players were behind, we were behind in terms of size. We were ter- behind in terms of our application to to, to the gym work, um, whereas now, I think we'd be, you know, I think we'd be ahead or close to ahead because there's very very good people working in 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 professional rugby, um, you know, there's there's generally good long term planning put in place for the players because, you know, a lot of other countries is just next next man up, whereas. We have to retain everyone yeah. and get the most out of them. So, you know, and I, I think there's a there's been a good drift over now as well from physiotherapy into the SNC program and SNC program into the, the the physiotherapy or the 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 injury prevention and injury rehabilitation side. They're very much aligned, whereas they were probably two very distinct departments back in the earlier days. You know, what you were doing in the gym might have been the exact opposite of what your physio wanted you to do, putting you into certain positions. So, um, so that alignment ha- has been has been big. You know, I remember going to Enda King from Century. I went to him, the physiotherapist, with my hamstring injury towards the end of my career, and I remember doing four hours a day with him, and he treated me on the bed for I would say ten minutes of those four hours. The rest of it was all getting me strong in certain positions. Uh, with with immaculate technique, and he was a physiotherapist, but he had he had realised injury rehabilitation and injury prevention. The strength and conditioning side had a massive role in that. Where are you now with your training? What do you do? Like now that you're retired from playing, do you still stay active? Do you still hit the gym? Yeah, I do about three days a week. I'll do a push pull, two push pulls, and then I'll do a circus, and I'll be out of there in forty minutes. Um, walk a little bit, go for the odd run and I eat pretty well. Not not amazing, but I eat pretty well. I, but I don't kill myself. I'd like to be doing more. I'd love to be doing CrossFit or something like that, but I just, I, I did CrossFit for a little while and it was, I just got injured immediately. <laughs> I wish there was a safer version of CrossFit where we're not deadlifting and snatching. I don't need to do snatches anymore. I'm 44 now. 
a safe version of CrossFit with the community element, you know. Yeah, that's my struggle now at the moment. I'm a, I'm a big fan of CrossFit. I've been doing it for a long time. I'm also 44 uh, and I'm trying to manage a back injury. So trying to get that balance between what I'm able to do versus what the head wants to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think there was about a five-year gap between the end of your playing career and when you came on board with the with the current squad. How did you find making that transition from Paul O'Connell, the player, into Paul O'Connell, the coach? So bridging that gap between the two. Yeah, I found it hard. I mean, I think retirement is hard in sports for anyone. Um, it's it's still, I still find retirement hard. Uh, I'd love to be still playing. I think I'm probably doing the next best thing for me. I I, I think working with Irish players is, is brilliant. There's, you know, because they haven't been, I think Irish rugby is well ran. So the Irish players aren't cynical. They're, they're, they're pretty well looked after here. So they're great to work with. Real good staff that I work with as well. The other coaches are brilliant. Andy Farrell, the head coach, has been excellent to work for. So so I'm in a really enjoyable environment. Um, but I, I must say it's it it, it it has been hard. Like playing rugby, I, I absolutely loved every bit of the job. I loved the, the game on Saturday, but I loved the gym, I loved training, I loved the meetings, I loved the arguments and the discussions and I loved the nights out and uh, like there wasn't one bit of it I didn't enjoy. So, you know, we know it's all coming to an end, but nothing can really prepare you for the end and what the end will look like and how you how you figure it out, you know. So, So I think me... I think that gap between me finishing and joining the Irish team as a coach was great for me because it probably gives me a bit more empathy for people because, you know, I didn't manage a lot of things when I finished very well. Um, I think I had a lot of people eager to help me uh, with my with my retirement and I, I probably took bits of help and then didn't take others and didn't manage some of those things as well. But um, so I think it gives you a bit of, maybe empathy for what other people are going through as well, even though, you know, they're going through it in the middle of their career or whatever. Was coaching always on the on the horizon for you or was that just an opportunity that presented itself? I, I think it was always something I was interested in. And, and towards the end, I probably got a little bit spooked by it. Uh, you know, I, I was watching coaches that were working crazy hours, um, you know, the, Anthony Foley, God rest his soul, unfortunately passed. Um, it, it wasn't an. It was becoming a harder and harder job, from what I could see, you know. Uh, and then I had a young family then as well, and you know, you you particularly in club coaching, you have a game on Saturday, you've got to review that game on Sunday, and you have a massive meeting then on Monday morning, which is you know, which is one of the biggest meetings of the week because you have to reframe what happened on Saturday, whether you won, lost or drew, you have to you have to have some bit of a hook and then you're playing a big game then again the following Saturday. So that meeting on Monday is, is tough. So, you know, it, and if Sunday is your family day, your mind is going to be on that meeting. Or, or, so so club coaching is, is a tough gig for me and and... So this opportunity to be in international coaching is is amazing because when you're away, you're away and you're in it, you know, you're you're, you're totally immersed in it and you're away from your family and and that's fine. Um, but when you're home, you're home. You know, I I probably work a, a kind of a nine to five when I'm at home, but when I go home, I'm properly home. You know, and I, I at the weekends I'm properly home and I'm driving everywhere and going to matches and going to plays and shows and all this kind of stuff with the kids so which is equally as important yeah but international coaching gives you that opportunity is what is what i'm saying whereas club coaching i I think is tough you probably need a certain mindset to be able to be all in when you're when you're at work and you're in coaching and then you can get home and you can be all in when you're at home um you know i probably have a bit of a way to go to be good at that kind of stuff whereas other guys i i see them as club coaches are really good at did you um did you do anything in that gap so you know when you 
between the end of your career and when you came back to coaching did you do anything specific to help you with that transition back into coaching like not I know not going off to do your level one coaching badge or anything like that but did you did you do anything that was going to help ease you into that role um as a coach well I I worked in the Munster Academy kind of part-time when I finished and Munster were really good to me in that they gave me this role um it was excellent for me. They kind of made it up. And, uh, <laughs> oh, like, unbelievable. And then the IRFU gave me a role coaching with the Irish 20s for, for Six Nations and, and, a, and a summer. And they were really good to me as well. Worked with a fantastic coach, Noel McNamara there. And um, and then I went to Stade Francais for a year and coached in Paris. Um, and I'd always wanted to live in France. And... Uh, we had a fantastic year. We only stayed there a year. The club was going through a bit of a transition. Some of the things that were going on there was a bit crazy, but it was a brilliant, brilliant experience. Great club. And I, I still support them now and I watch them. So I had a real mixture of experiences uh, by the time Andy Farrell rang me and asked me to get involved. Um, and I don't know if I was ready, really, but I knew I could get myself ready or or close to ready pretty quickly and I think at the start I was flying by the seat of my pants a little bit but um it's been really enjoyable and I think I've 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 gotten better over time I think probably the biggest thing for me in terms of being prepared to coach is 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 having been coached by Joe Schmidt himself for two years Joe is um a teacher qualified teacher and everything he was doing in coaching was education based like you know and and uh, there's a brilliant book by Doug Lamav um that the, I think it's called the coach the, the coach's guide to teaching or the teach the teacher's guide to coaching one or the other but he he's a coach he's a teacher that now works in sport and uh it's about using real evidence based teaching methods in sports and everything you read in the book you go Joe Smith did that, Joe Smith did that, Joe Smith did that. So I think those few years under Joe and being, I suppose, a little bit older and being curious about his methods and kind of writing them down a little bit probably helped me for when I went into coaching. What was it like? Can you remember that first day going back into the Irish job? Was um, Five years isn't that long a time. Was there still familiar faces from when you were a player working there that you were now working alongside in a different capacity or was it a, a fresh system, yeah. a fresh setup? Yeah, there was a good few familiar faces, um, but but it's changed. The coaching thing is, has changed a lot now. There's uh, rare you're, we, we, we call it a serve. There's rarely, there's rare you're giving the players a serve about their performance. You know, they're all, they're, they're, they're all trying 100% their best to get it right. And when you watch them and they're getting something wrong, as a coach, I think you sit there and go, I haven't been clear on what I've delivered here or I haven't given them an opportunity enough to get this right. Or So every time you decide to give out to a player, you're kind of giving out to yourself as well because it's your job. So there isn't, you know, some people say I, I, I can't go back and coach the players that I played with. You know, they, they certainly Irish players, they just want you to be honest with them you know, they just want you to, they don't want you to berate them or they don't want you to, 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 to give it to them, but they, they do want honest feedback. Uh, certainly if you feel, if you feel you have the answer and you feel you can help them, they, 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 they just want honest feedback. And with our guys, you're rarely, it's rarely, you're rarely giving out to them about effort. It's just technical things. And there's very little you, I think you fall out about with them. There's a, in the run up to this, I had mentioned to a few people that I was going to be speaking to you and there was two things that were notable. Uh, there was a surprising number of people said, Paul O'Connell, he's a good swimmer. Did you know that? Which I, which I didn't know. Uh, and I've also been told that you're very generous with your time. Uh, someone told me that you're occasionally found poolside uh, down in UL, giving encouragement to the, to the, to the, to the development squad swimmers that are down there. So, You've mentioned a few people, but if we go outside of rugby, has there anyone anyone that you'd lean on during your career or anyone that you'd look to for advice um, outside of rugby? Or would you look to other sports to see what you could use? Um, 
No, I think I, I grew up I grew up in a in a in a lovely community in Limerick, you know, where I I I swam first and foremost. So I, you know, we were sent down to Seal Swimming Club at four years of age and before we knew it we were in competitive swimming, you know, you were in Mosnia at the community games and you were going all over the country to Galas and just to like, I had a load of brilliant coaches, but in swimming, I had two particular ones, John Dempsey and Jerry Ryan, Limerick men, old school Limerick men who were just brilliant with kids that encouraging kids and, and pushing them as well. Like, you know, we, we trained really hard. I, I trained more when I was 12, 13, uh, um, as a, as a swimmer than I ever did in a week as a professional rugby player, you know, training before school, training after school. Um, so, so, and I, and I loved it and I loved the competitive side of it. And so we had these brilliant coaches who were good fun, but pushed us as well. Like, you know, and give out to us when we missed training and, and, and talk to us when we had poor performances and asked us about our diet at home and things like that. So, um, and same when I went into, I, I worked in a shop in town, in a spa shop, but a guy called John Gleason used to own the shop in town. A brilliant mentor for me. Uh, you know, I, I would have been 15, 16 years of age. I was opening the shop on Sunday mornings for him, doing the Sunday papers, and he'd have his lion, and he'd come in and do the, you know, when people came out of mass, then he wanted to meet all the customers. He'd come in then, and but he was also involved in the golf club where I played, and he, he was very good to me. And then in the rugby club, I had all sorts of people in Young Munsters pulling for me and pushing me. And so, so you know, I think it's nice to grow up in a community where people know you, they know your, they, they know your dad and they know your mom and they know, they know, they kind of know you, they know they can push you a little bit or they know they can be a bit tough on you or they know they can be positive with you as well. So I was lucky that I grew up in Limerick. In You know, Limerick is a small, a big place, but a small place as well. Everyone knows everyone. So um, so that that, that 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 was nice. And I, I think having a good family, my, my mom and dad are, 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 are still alive. They're, they, they live close to me, big, big rugby family. My older brother is eight years older than me. We, you know, most of us go to him for advice on, on anything we do. So I suppose they're a good community and, and a good, solid family that were very positive. So I'd have, I'd have a good work ethic, but good self-belief as well, maybe from that upbringing. I think that's that's a perfect place to leave it, Paul. That's a fantastic answer. It has been really, really interesting, absolutely fantastic to be able to talk to you and catch up with you and hear your perspective on all things sports science related and your coaching career, your playing career and, and a few other things we chatted about there. So, Paul, thank you very much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. OK, cheers. Cheers, Bruce. Well, that was a real privilege for me. When I was a student, I always imagined that I would have a career working in rugby, but it turned out to be a sport that I have never had the opportunity to work with. Paul is an absolute legend of Irish rugby, and I'm very grateful that through the Irish Sports and Exercise Science Association, I had the opportunity to interview him. I hope you enjoyed it too. Okay, that's it for today. If you've made it this far, we really would appreciate it if you could share the episode online. We are trying to reach as wide an audience as possible, and you can help us achieve that. As always, feel free to get in touch. We welcome any comments, feedback or questions you may have, so please do reach out. You can find us online at Irish SESA. Okay, that's it for now. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you in the next episode. Paul, you're very welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Brian. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm Bruce. Sorry. Bruce, <laughs> we better start again. We better start again. That's all right. <laughs> what a start.